0: You're listening to another podcast. A podcast not only of reviewing and discussing, but of discovery. A deep dive into a classic show whose influence is immeasurable. Your next stop? Anthology. Hello, and welcome to Anthology, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. I'm your host, Matt Hurt, and if this is your first time listening, Anthology is a podcast where I review The Twilight Zone as a first-time viewer and other classic and contemporary science, science fiction anthology series. For archives of all of my episodes, visit AnthologyPod.com. You can also like the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash AnthologyPod, and follow me on Twitter at OVAnthologyPod, and as of today... You can uh, follow me on Instagram at OV Anthology Pod as well. I'll talk about that a little bit in my next segment. I don't know. Um, But if you'd like to support what I do here, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. Where you can get access to a ton of different audio content, exclusive audio content, including B roll episodes I record before uh, most episodes that I record podcasts for, um, that are just me and my friends just kind of goofing around and everything. It's laid back. Sometimes we have a topic, sometimes we just kind of share anecdotes about our lives and everything. That goes to all of the Patreon levels. Um, at the $2 level, you can get TV and book reviews and reaction uh, recordings. I'm currently doing a 100-page, uh, 100 100-page-by-100-page 100 uh, uh, reaction to Stephen King's new novel, Fairy Tale. I'm also doing episode reviews of Dark and For All Mankind. Um, that's at the $2 level, plus you get a ton of other stuff. And then at the $5 level, you get movie reaction recordings, Patreon popery. that's grouping together of different, um uh you know um <laughs> different movies and one big episode, commentary tracks and a bunch of other stuff that's at the five dollar level and then there's also a ten dollar tier for monthly wrap up recordings and everything. All the patreon tiers get early access to podcast episodes as well, so check that out if you are interested in the almost five hundred different things that I have on patreon that's not an exaggeration it's literally almost 500 like audio posts um, on patreon at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer yeah that it just helps me out a lot it gives me a lot of uh, pleasure to be able to provide content and everything so if you're not sick of hearing my voice on the podcast or on my other podcasts if you check those out uh consider uh subscribing at patreon.com obsessive viewer for an ungodly amount of bonus content so uh today on the show i am once again kind of late but i am sticking to my weekly thing um with releasing releasing episodes for anthology because i really really want to hit that goal of finishing out season three of the Twilight Zone before or like right at the end of 2022 so Today on the show, I'm going to be discussing my thoughts and sharing my thoughts on The Trade-Ins, which is the 31st episode of The Twilight Zone's third season, and it originally aired on April 20th, 1962, and I will be rounding out the episode with a brief, non-spoiler review of Science Fiction Theater Season 1, Episode 38... Operation Flypaper, which um, that might actually be the penultimate episode of season one of Science Fiction Theater. Uh, I'll have more information on that next week. Um, <laughs> but before I get into my reviews and everything, I want to share some anecdotes from the world of fiction and science, which is my segment where I kind of talk about some uh, science fiction related things that I've had uh, going on in between recordings of this podcast, and I don't really have much in terms of media. I did I did start watching uh, Circuit Breakers, the Apple TV Plus um, kids show, sci-fi anthology show. I'm still on the fence if I'm going to do bonus reviews because I want to concentrate on the main feed episodes and everything, but I might end up doing bonus episodes for that. Um, that remains to be seen, but I got about halfway through the first episode. It's charming. It's, it's kind of cute. Um, I didn't get a chance to finish it because it was a whole thing. I was at work and basically I wasn't at work, but I was at work waiting for my girlfriend to finish wor- her work so that we could go home. Uh, so I just had time to kill cause I wasn't on the clock. So I just took out my phone and was watching, watching it. And then she finished up work about halfway through the episode. So didn't return to it. But that first episode is pretty charming. Um, the acting is not great, but um, it's pretty charming. It's worth checking out. Um, it could be a good like kind of entry point for kids to get into sci-fi, I think. But I I don't know. There's any number of other things that they can do to get into sci-fi. So who knows? But I might have more on that later. I, I'm not sure. Uh, but that remains to be seen. But the uh, two of the big thing, not big things, but um two two things that I want to bring to the table for my segment on from the world of fiction and science is that I stumbled upon a YouTube channel called Twilight Zone in Color. It launched, uh, I think last year. And basically what it is, is whoever runs it is doing a kind of 4k colorized restoration of uh, the Twilight Zone, just kind of for fun I presume and it's kind of interesting um so far they have six uh six playlists for six different episodes of the Twilight Zone it's not it's not colorizing every single second of every single episode or anything but there are like maybe five or six clips from each episode that run about i would say just kind of at a glance it's probably about half of the episode uh total but they have uh they have playlists set and i'll put i'll put a link in the sh- in the show notes of course um which can be found at anthologypod dot com slash zero nine five but uh they have clips for their color colorized four k um uh, remasters or restorations of Time Enough at Last, It's a Good Life, Nothing in the Dark, Walking Distance, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet and Little Girl Lost. And uh it's pretty interesting. I, I caught I watched a little bit of um their Walking Distance uh uh colorization and it's pretty neat. It's it's kind of neat. So I recommend checking it out. Uh, it's on YouTube. It's Twilight Zone in color. Um, that might be something just interesting to, uh, to check out, I guess. I don't know. But the other big thing is something I already talked about, but you can now follow Anthology on Instagram at OV Anthology Pod. Um, I started an Instagram page for the podcast for a couple of reasons. One is because I have a separate, um... I have a separate Instagram account for Obsessive Viewer, my main podcast, and Tower Junkies, my Stephen King podcast. So why not? Why not just make one for Anthology? Especially since uh, Twitter is going so swiftly down the crapper ever since Elon Musk bought it, <laughs> and like I'm loving, I'm I'm enjoying the Schadenfreude of him his, like it just blowing up in his face because I think he's kind of a complete moron. Um, but it is clearly like, okay, yeah, every, like it's who knows by the time you're listening to this, it may already be completely gone. There was a whole thing, uh, I think it was Thursday night, um, of this past week where like it was like, uh, RIP, RIP Twitter, and people were talking about like, yeah, Twitter might not exist on Monday, it might be completely gone because of this whole thing where Elon Musk like dismissed half of the remaining staff and le- like it's basically run by a skeleton crew and in the process of doing that he uh deactivated the access to the to the headquarters and he had dismissed the people who are responsible or who who were able to reactivate the access access to the building so like i had seen like tweets and reports about uh twitter employees literally being trapped in the Parking garage of the of the of Twitter HQ because Elon Musk is a freaking moron. <laughs> so it's just it is it. I mean, you know, obviously it sucks for the people that have lost their jobs and everything and their livelihood. They will hopefully be able to bounce back and everything, but it's just insanity. The level of just like objective stupidity that has taken place in the two weeks since elon musk took control of twitter so anyway all that's to say check out anthology on instagram at ovanthologypod, um and the twitter will still be around as long as twitter is but yeah so anyway give me a follow and everything i'm going to try to do some like uh some like quick like screenshots and stuff on on instagram for anthology i don't know we'll see but anyway That is about all that I've got for, uh, from the world of fiction and science. So let me go ahead and go into, uh, my review of the trade-ins. And of course, before I get into the nitty gritty of it, I'm going to share what I knew about this episode before I watched it. And before I watched this episode, the trade-ins, I did not know what it was about. Um, the title made me think of mirror image. And the concept of people being replaced. And I think part of that is because there, I can't remember. In one of the later um uh Dark Tower books by Stephen King, there is maybe there are trade-ins. Maybe it's maybe it's referred to as trade-ins. I don't know. But anyway, um, there is this idea of like people like interdimensional travelers coming in uh to like Keystone Earth in the Dark Tower universe, and I think that they were called trade-ins. Uh, but they may have been called something else. I don't remember, but um, it just reminded me of that. So I thought that made me think of doppelgangers and mirror image. So I don't know. Um, but then I kind of started thinking maybe it's a haunted object story that takes place in a thrift shop, like people kind of trading in objects or maybe another like kind of in the same vein as like, as like the used car lot in the the whole truth. Um and then my final suggestion was that maybe it had something to do with someone wanting to trade lives with someone else, um, kind of in a, uh, not necessarily the si- silence, um, uh, respect, but be in like a thing where it's two people that are competing or like have like, um, a competitive streak or something like that. And then wanting to trade lives. I don't know. Um, none of that is really what it is, and what this episode is, is as follows, which is my very clunky tran uh tran uh uh, transaction? No. my uh, Jesus, what is the word I'm looking for? My transition to uh, reading the plot summary of The Trade-Ins. This plot summary is coming courtesy of The Twilight Zone, Unlocking the Door to a Television Classic by Martin Grahams Jr. And of course, I'm going to be spoiling the episode from here on out. So if you have not watched The Trade-Ins, go watch it, come back, listen to the uh, rest of this episode. So here we go. Plot Summary, courtesy of Unlocking the Door to a Television Classic. In the far future, Mr. and Mrs. John Holt visit the new Life Corp, whose stock in trade is Rebirth. The process is quick and painless. The customers are put to sleep and will awake in a young body in the prime of health. After a tour through the facility, they learn the price, $10,000 for the two of them, but they only have half the funds and wouldn't dream of making the change with just one of them, regardless of how much pain John is going through. In desperation to make the $10,000, John visits an illegal gambling establishment in an effort to double his money at the risk of losing it all. Towards the end of the night, John has lost most of his money in a card game and when the men at the table learn of his motives, the card game turns, uh, turns in John's favor, and act of charity giving the old man his five thousand dollars back the next day john is administered the operation is a success but seeing the hurt in his wife's eyes john wants to return to his old body pain or age be damned he'll grow old with her as long as uh, or as things were meant to be so this episode stars uh, joseph uh Schildkraut. Um, as John Holt, this is his second of two Twilight Zone appearances. We previously saw him in Death's Head Revisited. And one of his notable credits on his filmography is, just to throw this out there, is the movie The Shopper on the Corner, which is a very charming romantic comedy uh, from uh, the 40s or 50s. Uh, and then co-starring as Marie Holt is Al- uh, Alma Platt. This was her only episode of The Twilight Zone. However, she did appear in one episode of Night Gallery. In the segment, since Aunt Ada came to stay. And then elsewhere in the cast is Noah Keen as Mr. Vance. This is his second of two Twilight Zone episodes. We previously saw him in The Arrival, and he was the kind of vice president of the airline, I think. And he also appeared in Exit from a Plane and Flight, which was an episode of Bob Hope Presents the Chrysler Theater. Which aired in 1965 and was written by Rod Serling. Um, I couldn't find I couldn't find that online anywhere. I did it kind of a cursory search on YouTube to find like if it was like available on YouTube or anything. There's like a three and a half minute clip from it, um, so maybe if you're interested, check that out. Um, but the premise for it is ex uh, ex paratrooper Quentin Morrow, now a movie star, returns to an army army base to make a parachute jump for publicity. Um, uh, It starred Hugh O'Brien, but, but yeah, anyway, uh, what's his name? Noah Keane <laughs> did make an appearance in it. And some other notable roles for him is that he appeared in the movie Battle for the Planet of the Apes. And he was in one episode of The Next Step Beyond in 1978, which was the revival or reboot or whatever of the, uh, One Step Beyond from the 50s or 60s. Uh, And then rounding out, no, not rounding out the cast, because I've got a couple more. I've got another one. So, <laughs> (laughs) Next up as Faraday is Ted Marcuse. This is his second of two Twilight Zone episodes. We previously saw him in the episode To Serve Man. And he also has a couple of other notable credits, including an uncredited role in the 1957 sci fi film The 27th Day, which I actually covered long, long ago and back in episode 28 of the podcast. Um, and then he also had an uncredited role in a 1964 episode of the of the Outer Limits called Fun and Games. So those are notable credits for Ted Mercuse or Marcuse. And now rounding out the cast <laughs> is Edson Stroll as young John Holt. Uh, this is his second of two Twilight Zone episodes. We previously saw him in Eye of the Beholder, and in like on that front, I feel like he is like the Twilight Zone's go-to hot guy apparently because he played the uh handsome man in Eye of the Beholder that was going to help the lead uh usher in to her like camp or her new new identity um which obviously the switch of the switch around of of Eye of the Beholder was that you know they're all like pig-faced people in the society and like the strikingly beautiful Conventionally beautiful by our standards are like the hideous, deformed ones. <laughs> um, so, anyway, so congrats to Edson Stroll for being the go to hot guy of the Twilight Zone in his two roles in the show. Uh, Writer for this episode was Rod Serling, and director was Elliot Silverstein. This is his third of four Twilight Zone directorial efforts. Uh, Previously, we saw from him The Passersby, and next uh, next and last will be Spur of the Moment, which I believe is in season five. So, that is the talent rundown for the trade-ins. Let me go into my thoughts on the episode itself, and... I've just gotta say before I go like beat for beat, like I usually do, I just want to say that this episode was spectacular, um very, very profound, very beautifully told i when <laughs> so I've watched it a few times now, and the uh today when I was rewatching it to finalize my notes and everything, I was reading my notes uh before I started the episode, and by the time I got to the end of my notes I remembered like the imagery of the show and and everything that had happened in the episode and like I got very choked up like I I almost started like crying like like very like very heavy tears crying and then i i kind of like took a beat i composed myself and then i watched the episode and sure enough at the end of the episode i nearly lost my lost it cuz i was like very very emotionally affected by john and marie holt and it's just it is such a beautiful beautiful episode and i i i really really appreciate it and everything so so let me explain why. Um, <laughs> as I go beat for beat through the trade ins, so we open on a door that says the New Life Corp, and right from the outset, this is an absolutely gorgeous, stunning shot that I I adore so much. It's on the cover cover art for this episode of the podcast. It was the first like the first instagram post that i did was a screenshot of this uh on the new uh anthology um uh instagram page but it's basically this close up of a door that says the new life corp and then the silhouette of the holts come into frame and they are obviously the silhouette is against the door you can see that they're an old couple. It's a beautiful, gorgeous shot, and it conveys so much in so little time. So obviously obviously I'm gonna break this up into two parts, where the obvious thing that it conveys is that the new Life Corp is a corporation that uh can can revitalize human beings and and give them back their youth. That's evidenced by the fact that there's an old couple silhouette that gives us a peek into the plot of the episode that yes these these two uh um these two elderly uh characters are going to the new life corp to get uh to get you know revitalized to get a new lease on life a second chance at at a, a longer life but the then uh, there's a very tender kiss that John gives to Marie's hand in the silhouette, and that communicates everything about their love for each other, their connection, and why they're both going there because they want to live they want to live a l- lengthier life f- together and just in those like few short seconds, this has given us. All of the emotion that we'll see. Like this, this has given us the emotional crux of the entire story that we're about to see. And I I applaud them applaud the show for that because it is it is glorious. It is absolutely gorgeous, beautiful filmmaking. I love it. So um my initial thought is: so is the episode about a company that can restore youth and the old? pretty clearly the case. Uh, so they enter and Mr. Vance, uh, greets them. Uh, I think one of his assistants brings them up to his desk and I immediately clocked him as the guy from the arrival. Um, and then I kind of second guessed myself because I was, you know, I second guess myself because I'm mad hurt. Um, so, uh, he, he tells them, and this is, I love this line. He says like, hello, uh, welcome to new life. I just, I think that that is just such an interesting turn of phrase because he's welcoming them to the start of their new life. Um, So they sit down and he kind of talks to to them and everything. He says, okay, uh, Mr. Holt, you're 79 years old. And then Mrs. Holt says that she's 74. And then he starts looking at their medical history. Uh, They say, uh, let's see. Okay, yeah. So at this point, their immediate level of concern uh, is painted all over their faces and in their mannerisms. As they kind of like tense up because they're worried that their medical history is going to disqualify them from being able to get the to get the procedure done to them. And I just think that 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 joint level of concern between the two of them communicates it, it further communicates their connection to each other, even before we even before we hear like the backdrop or, or the backstory of their love and everything as much as a backstory as we get. Um, it's just, it is painted all over their faces. And I think that that is very, very well done. Um, so then Mr. Vance tells them that Mr. Holt has had a great deal of illness in his life, um, and asks if he's in pain and everything. Um, and you can see as you rewatch this episode that, um, that John just basically downplays it. He says, a, l- a little bit of pain, a little bit of pain. Clearly desperate to get this procedure done and desperate to, to have a new, a new revitalized life experience with his wife. Um, but then Mr. Vance just, like, I love the, the, um, candor that Vance has toward, toward, uh, the Holtz because he is very soothing and he's very, not therapeutic, but he's very much, uh, a calm presence and he shares in their excitement and everything. It's just, it's a really great, uh, dynamic that's presented in this, in this whole opening segment is all about just establishing how, how like perfect this, this procedure is. And so Mr. Vance reassures them and says that this is one of the reasons that new life exists. It's, you know, we deal in youth. It's our stock and trade. It's, it's, or he says our stock and trade is simply rebirth. And he goes on to say that the process is quick and painless and that they've constructed new bodies and that they'll, they'll transfer their consciousness into the new body And that new body will live for roughly 112 years. And as we're getting this exposition dump and all of this detail for it, all I can think of is I love this concept so much. This is such an interesting concept to me. It is very much in my wheelhouse for science fiction and my personal like science fiction proclivities. Um, Very, very good. Like the idea of it... The idea of the show dealing with that mortality, uh, the the subject of mortality, is very interesting. And I love that this episode, I'm kind of, uh, um, I don't know, I'm kind of showing my hand a little bit. Uh, But it's so interesting how this episode is, you know, it's similar to kick the can and it has popped up, uh, later in the season for kick the can. Um, like it, it, like they're so close together in the chronology that it's interesting to kind of compare them, which I'll do later. So anyway, um, the, uh, Vance asks the Holtz how long they've been married. They say they've been married for 50 years and he says like, so yeah, you don't want the relationship to end. Um, that's, you've, you guys have had a very long, very happy life and very full life, but you don't want the relationship to end. And this I thought was just so, just so beautiful because Mr. Holt says that, um, he says that, uh, that Mrs. Holt is all that he has and all that he ever needs and everything. And I just thought that that was just so beautifully told, so beautifully communicated, Um, it's just, I, I love this episode, you guys. Uh, so then Vance takes them to look at the models that they have on display and this like big hall, like we, with these big, wide, uh, this, uh, big, very tall hallway, basically. Um, is beautiful set design it reminds me a little bit of some of the set design in the obsolete man and it just reminds me that i love 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 when the twilight zone goes this full sci-fi futurism route and it's depicted in such a beautiful way it is very it's so interesting to me here's the thing (laughs) it's so interesting to me because You have the obsolete man, which had those big wide angles of the big room, long table. Everything looks very cold. The walls are either steel or stone. The table is very uh, undecorated and like steel. It just looks very cold and intimidating. But it's interesting because you have this episode where this hallway kind of has the same aesthetic. It's very drab, it's very not drab, but it's very bare. Um and the tall there's a tall ceiling, there's the walls are bare. It looks very cold. But uh given that the episode, the story of the episode is based in this love that these two characters have for each other, it is far less intimidating than the structure and the set design of the obsolete man. But anyway. Vance, uh, explains to them, uh, explains to the Holtz that the, that the bodies will, that the bodies that they select will be injected with their consciousness, their memory bank, personality, continuity. And, uh, then, then John, this, I thought, this is just so beautiful. John, uh, wants to confirm with him again, that there's, that there will be no pain. And in this moment I love the vulnerability that he's showing. And it's something that he does throughout the episode and I think that it is an incredible performance. Um so he's a man who is in constant pain. So his uh uh so his reservations about the procedure lie in him not wanting to go through having more pain even if that means the end of his pain, like that communicates so much about the level of pain that he is in a constant state of. He can't take it anymore. So the thought that he would do this procedure that would alleviate the pain for the rest of his life and lengthen his life, he is still calculating. He's still trying to calculate how much pain that will take because his body cannot take the He feels that he cannot take the amount of pain that he's going through on a daily basis. And I think that that communicates so much to his situation in particular. So then, again, I love the way that uh, Noah, is it Noah? Um, that the guy, yeah, Noah Keane, the way that he shares this, this, um, not optimism, but this enjoyment, this this excitement with the Holtz, because he uh, he tells them like, "Oh yeah, this is this is a perfect." A perfect situation. Um, let me tell you about the process. And he starts telling them about the process and like this excited energy and everything as the camera moves over to the display, the display models where uh, Serling pops up and he gives his narration. But I just really appreciate, before I get into the opening narration, I really appreciate how this opening sequence, this cold open to the episode, has demonstrated just how perfect it all seems. Um, Because in theory, this is a miracle cure for aging, and there's nothing to indicate that there will be a problem with the actual procedure. And so us as the audience, we are going to be expecting there to be an issue with it. Um, And at this point... I was, I was misdirected very effectively because I put in my notes, I don't want there to be a problem. Like, I already want this to work out for the Holtz because I'm already invested in, uh, invested in them. And frankly, I'm nervous for them. And I just, I love that. I, I love being in that position because, it gives, like, this episode goes to a slightly unexpected route because I thought that there was going to be an issue with the actual procedure and everything, but it is a very personal story about this couple, and I love the episode for that reason. So without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and play the opening narration uh, from Rod Serling, which I will play right now. And uh, quite pink Yeah. And very fast. Very yeah. swift. We, we attach these two caps. Yeah. Mr. and Mrs. John Holt. Aging people who slowly and with trembling fingers turn the last pages of a book of life and hope against logic and the preordained that some magic printing press will add to this book another limited edition. But these two senior citizens happen to live in a time of the future when nothing is impossible, even the trading of old bodies for new. Mr. and Mrs. John Holt, in their twilight years, who are about to find that there happens to be a zone with the same name. So my initial thought on this is that the opening narration is very, for lack of a better word, cool. Like, I love the phrasing of it, how it's, um, when he says that Mr. and Mrs. John Holt in their twilight years, uh, are about to find out that there happens to be a zone with the same name. It's just a nice, a fun little spin on the, uh, the old, Uh, Not no the the I don't know how should I phrase it. Um, (laughs) it's a very very nice spin on the uh, the way that the show says like always the way that the opening narration always says. Um, uh, the Twilight Zone like it always just says that exactly. So I don't know I I just really like the kind of spin on that I wasn't expecting it. It's not like to the level of say the very different opening narration we got for It's a Good Life, but it's a nice little fun, uh, turn of phrase there and everything. So anyway, um, when we get back from the opening narration, we are given a scene where, uh, Mr. Vance is interrupted because he's showing, he's showing the Holtz more of the models and everything that they can choose from. And it's, it, first of all, it's very sweet and very cute because, uh, like they go to like a man model and then, uh, Mr. Vance just kind of, or not Mr. Vance, but, uh, John, uh, he kind of like, he kind of like, laughs to himself and he says i'm not really the bachelor type or something like that and I, I don't know there's just something that was very charming about that because both john and marie have this attitude in the scene where they seem like they're like kids in a candy store like they're very excited and mr vance is matching that that excitement so well um so yeah i just i don't know i just really like that so anyway uh mr vance's assistant calls to him from down the hall. And I love this little detail because it's classic science fiction. Uh, she says, Mr. Vance, I'm sorry, you're wanted on the video phone. And I I love that. I think that's just, I loved just that. I mean, it's a tried and true thing for, for uh, classic sci-fi and everything. And I just love it whenever they do things like that. Anyway, uh, so now that they're alone, John and Marie are very happy and excited. And they have this beautiful just energy where they talk about how, like, it seems like a miracle, like almost too good to be true. Um, but it is, it is true. It is something that they, that they feel is attainable in this moment. And so this is just such an incredibly sweet, um, scene. Like I'm going to start getting a little choked up too, but, uh, John says like, now, do you think you can stand me for another stand being around me for another century? And Marie without missing a beat says for 10 centuries. Uh, I like that is so incredibly sweet. And I wanted so much in this. I want like at this point in my first viewing, I want them to have a happy ending. I want it to work out for them because this episode is painting them in such a beautiful light because it is going to the extreme, not extreme, but it's going through the effort of telling us and communicating to us just how perfect their love is for each other. And it's just incredibly sweet and sentimental and it's tugging at my heartstrings already. And it's uh, like there were so many different ways that this episode could have gone down so many different avenues that this episode could have gone down, which I'll talk about in a little bit as I go on, but I'm so glad that it went the route that it did. And I'll explain why as I go through, but I just, I'm just so blown away by this episode because it's just incredibly sweet and sentimental and beautiful. So when Vance returns, he says that he forgot to mention one of the most important guarantees that they have And that is that once the, uh, once the procedure is done, they have a one week grace period where they can reverse it. And he prefaces that by saying that, you know, this is very rare that we do this. Our, uh, our success rate or our, uh, he doesn't even say success rate. It's not even like a thing where it's like, you know, maybe it won't take, so we'll have to reverse it. It is painted as the, the deciding factor is on the client. Uh, whether or not they want to reverse it but he says that we have a 98% satisfaction rate and so actually reversing the operation is extremely rare. And that's an important scene for us too because obviously that's what happens at the end of the episode but it's a nice a nice way to kind of just plant that in our minds and reassure us that it's that there's not like a chance that it could go wrong. So, yeah. So then we get to the discussion of price, which is where it starts to get a little heartbreaking because Vance tells them that the cost is $5,000 per body. And as soon as he says that, I realize where the episode is going. Um, so I just thought like, okay, 5000 is a uh, five thousand per body is an interesting way to phrase it. So I wondered if they only had enough money for one of them. Um... And then I immediately thought, John is going to take it since he's got chronic illness. And this is where I was afraid the episode was going to go. And I'm so, so satisfied with the way that Serling went this route. Because I knew at this moment, I knew, okay, one of them is going to get the, the procedure. Clearly, they've been putting a lot of emphasis on John having chronic pain that he can't live with anymore, or doesn't want to live with anymore. So clearly he's going to be the one to do it. Um, now, I was afraid that it was going to happen in that moment, and that the episode was going to be about the loss of the love between John and Murray, And I am so freaking glad that that's not the case, because like I said, there are several different cynical ways that this episode could have gone down, And it went the sentimental, beautiful love story route. And I cannot be more thankful for this episode (laughs) for doing that because it is, it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. So then he, he explains to them, they explain to him that they only have 5,000 and John suggests that, you know, maybe the 5,000 can be like a down payment. And then I'll, I'll have my, uh, I'll have my, uh, young body, so I'll be able to work and I can pay off the rest of it. And then Vance says, like, no, I'm sorry, government regulation forbids extending lines of credit for the procedure. Um, And so that's a quick and easy way to just strike that idea down. And then Marie is the first to suggest that John does it. And again, that is just a beautiful sentiment and it's a beautiful demonstration of their love for each other, because they're both, they're both, they both, even though the emphasis has been on John having, you know, several illnesses and chronic pain and everything, even though that's the case, she, like, it's kind of a no-brainer that she would suggest that he, that he does it, but it's something that it's, we can't forget that Marie is also she's elderly and she must have other like she is just as excited about the procedure as john was and everything so for her to just to just instantly say like john you should do it is just so beautiful because that is that is their love that is another depiction of their love for each other and he immediately rejects the idea (laughs) which again is great because of their, just the beauty of their love is just so, so beautiful. This is, this is an intensely romantic episode of the Twilight Zone. And I just adore it for that reason. Uh, so much like it's ridiculous. Um, and he has the very beautiful line where he says that we can't be separated. We belong to each other. And, (laughs) Again, like I'm starting to get like a little teary-eyed just saying that because it is just so, so sentimental and beautiful and so authentic. Um, And then Mr. Vance to kind of close out the scene or start to close out the scene in the act says that, well, perhaps another time. And then we see just a crustfallen John as he realizes that his dream, uh, his shared dream with Marie is going to disappear and that he has to live with the pain. And then Marie comforts him by quoting um, a line from a poem by Robert Browning uh, as he looks back, as John looks back at the model display. uh, She says, grow, Uh, I'm going to I just fumbled that. I'm so sorry. Grow old along with me. The best is yet to be the last of life for which the first was made. I think that's a line. Um, And then we get an act break. And that is this obviously that comes into play later the later in the episode and it's just it's so lovely the way that this is that that line from Browning is said as kind of a consolation um like the consolation i guess i guess it's a, a consolation prize for them not getting the procedure that they will still be together. That's fine in the the last bit of their life together. So it has this kind of, um, it has this kind of not depressing, but it has this sad tinge to it in this scene. And then when it recurs back at the end of the episode, it is because they've gone through they've gone through stuff together. It is beautiful and and optimistic and wonderful. It's it's great, but. The First, before we can get to that, we have the next act, which includes a gambling scene, which I was not anticipating. I had no idea that this is where the episode was going to go. I, it's so much so that when we come back from the from the commercial break, we are in a room with two new characters. Um, uh, we've got Mr. Faraday playing a piano while another man stands by the door. And like, I was so confused. I thought for until... until um, Until John knocks on the door and they have their first uh, scene together, I assumed that Mr. Faraday and the other man in the room, I assumed that they were John and Marie's like sons and that it was going to go that route. But I because I had no idea where it was going. But then when they answered the door for John, he says that uh, the bartender told him that this is where you can gamble um, and then they lead him into the back room to play cards and just immediately, I just thought, he's trying to turn the $5,000 into $10,000. And just it, this scene is absolutely remarkable to me because it is sad. It is very sad because this is a desperate attempt for him and his wife to live twice as long. And it's not like their desire to, to, uh, lengthen their time on the planet is not a greedy proposition. It is not something that's born out of greed. It's not something that's born out of ego or like, it's, it's not like they are wanting to, um, to have like a a whole extra life because they can accomplish so much more and everything. They just want to live together for, like, the whole, like, you know, till death do us part. They want to spend their remaining years together, and they love each other so much that they want their remaining years together to be an entire lifetime together. And that is just so beautiful and so romantic, and and I love it. I love it so much. So, yeah. So, the fact that he is... Now, going into this world that he doesn't understand to try to gamble, gamble it, uh, gamble the money, uh, to get the full 10,000 so that they can both have a life together, um, a life of youth, and a, a whole other, um, a whole other reign of their marriage, I guess, um, is just has this like sadness baked into it because. This isn't a world that John belongs in, this world of, like, these backroom card games and everything. In this scene, the reason why I think it is just so beautifully done is because the scene, the show, the writing from the outset knows that that's the case. So we have Faraday humming as he deals the cards... And and here's the thing. I don't know if Faraday is supposed to be like a mobster or a gangster or something or just someone who does illegal gambling on the side um, in the back room of a bar or something. But I get the intention that he is maybe connected to the mob or maybe some kind of criminal, um, which made me a little bit nervous because – As the scene progresses, you realize like, oh, John's going to get cleaned out. (laughs) Um, And so as Faraday is dealing the cards, he's humming and he kind of looks confused because this seems like a peculiar situation for this this old man to be in the room with them uh, and wanting to wanting to play cards for he can't understand it. And then John grimaces in pain. And again, it just it. It doubles down on the sadness of of his situation, his and Marie's situation, because like I said, they want to get healthy so that they can prolong their marriage. And that's all. Like they they, they don't want anything greedy or anything. Um and it is just so sad that he is he's putting his five thousand dollars at risk so that for a chance that they can, you know, live an extra life together. So, uh, as they're playing cards, time passes, Faraday raises John, uh, 500 bucks and there's a lot of money on the table. And that's when John grimaces even more. And so then this is where the scene kind of turns into this just wonderful, wonderful scene where Faraday asks him how long he's had whatever illness he has. And so Faraday says, you know, several years and, or not, not Faraday, but John says several years. And that's when Faraday says, I'm going to clean you out, you know, and John kind of agrees. He's like, yeah, I'm, you know, I had this plan to get the money and just completely botched it. I'm out of my element. And Faraday then asks why he needs the money. And while John is starting to talk about it, he apologizes for holding the game up. He is answering Faraday's question, but he has just this, this kindness within him and this this niceness within him that's so genuine that he stops and says, I'm sorry for holding up the game, basically telling, telling Faraday and the other men at the table that, like, you know, you guys don't, like, it doesn't matter, like, it doesn't matter. I'm sorry for holding the game up, but Faraday presses him. And so John tells him about the whole plan to, to, for the new life that he, uh, only has 5,000. So he needs 10,000 so that both he and Marie can, uh, get new bodies and everything. And then he just says like, he's not good at this. I think this is the part where he says that he had the money and the, or he had the plan to get the money in, and botched it. But he says, he also says that he's not worth anybody, or he's not worth anything to anybody. And like the just the sincerity that John has in this scene is so beautiful and it is so emotionally moving. And it's not even like a level of devastation, it's not this, it's not this sadness in the traditional sense, it's just this. This sincerity, this, not even selflessness, because he is, he is, if he were to succeed, he, you know, would be getting a lot out of it. But at the end of the day, it is solely so he and Marie can stay together for decades later. Um than what they have left and just the fact like what hammers at home is that they've already been married for 50 years so them wanting to extend that an extra 50 years or 100 years or whatever 10 centuries um is just absolutely beautiful because it is just the purest love that these characters have for each other and it's i i love it i really love it so at this point as John is bearing his soul and not even in a pleading way. That's the thing. It's not, he's not even like, he's not saying this as like, please give me $10,000 so that me and my wife can be together forever. Um, He's just telling them like what his situation is. Just kind of just naturally answering the questions. Um, Because John and Marie are characters who do not have like, do not have that greedy or, or have that greed element in them. They don't they're not self-serving. They just want to have their life together extended. That it that's what I keep coming back to and I think that that is just such a romantic and beautiful idea to be presented in in the episode. And so at this point after he's bared his soul Um, I am just hoping in my first viewing that Faraday just folds and that John gets the money and that they, like, here's the thing. I know intellectually in my first viewing that this is not going to be the case, that they're not going to get the full 10,000 and live happily ever after. Because I know, I know that there's more to come, that there has to be more drama. There has to be some kind of dramatic element in this episode. But still, I am so invested in John and Marie that... I just hope that Faraday folds and John gets the full 10000 and that they can both get the procedure done and that everyone lives happily ever after. But that's not the case. So John continues the game and he calls Faraday. Um, which then leads another gambler to kind of give us the information. Really? Uh, he tells John that he stands to get, uh, $5,000 from the pot if he wins this hand. So we know the stakes. We know that he at best will get his money back. So he's not going to get the full 10,000. And so there's, you know, dramatic tension and everything, obviously until Faraday folds. And I put in my notes, thank God. Um, and then I realized like, wait, he's only leaving with 5,000, but that's still good. They can still do something. And here's where I think this is just a subtly beautiful moment in the episode in an already beautiful episode because in a much more cynical version of this story, Faraday, who I'm assuming is a mobster of some kind, would have let John... Uh, have the extra 5000 in exchange for working for Faraday when he has his younger body. So in that case, if there was a more cynical version of this, that version of the episode would have been the sacrifice of John to pay back the debt by doing things that are morally questionable. And in the process, losing, losing that love with Marie because he is, um, because, because he is sacrificing his morals to pay off the thing that got them what they needed. Um, but that's not what this episode is. That's not where the episode goes. That's has nothing, nothing going on because this episode is about the depth of love that John and Marie have for each other. And The episode has no interest, no compunctions with, or no, no, no compunctions, but no interest in dismantling that connection because John and Marie deserve their happiness and deserve to be together. And it just, it just reinforces that this, this episode is not a deal like, like strike a bargain with the devil narrative. It's a plea for time. It is about good people wanting to continue being good people longer and that is just something that feels just so beautifully told in this episode. I I I love it. So um as John finishes the game, he starts mumbling that Murray will understand that he can't live with the pain. And this was absolutely heartbreaking because he's just mumbling to himself that he's going to get the operation himself and as he's mumbling and he's he's trying to rationalize getting the procedure himself and Marie not getting the situation or getting the procedure. The combination of the camera showing Faraday's face as he's reacting to this with John's mumbling uh, of that rationalization uh, provides just this very deep empathy in this scene for John and Marie. And I love that. And again, I was hoping at this moment that Faraday would reconsider and be like, hey, hey here's an extra 5,000, just leave. Uh, you guys can both get it and live happily ever after. Because I want that for them. I want them to have it because these characters deserve that level of happiness because they are so just pure of heart and kind and, and genuine and beautiful. Their love is beautiful. And, uh, yeah, but that's not the case. So, uh, I, but I, at the end of the day, I do love that this is the dramatic crux of the episode because the plot isn't driven by whether or not John is able to get the money for both procedures. Instead, it's driven by this concern for one person's well-being if the other is the only one able to get the procedure that would, you know, enrich their life. And that I just find just so beautiful in in terms of uh coming into the end the end act of the episode it's just it's just an interesting uh way to depict the dramatic uh the dramatic plot of the episode so uh then after John leaves, Faraday just kind of laughs to himself and I like that because it gives this idea of Faraday just like having this complete like he has his own life and everything like he is part of these backroom like uh, presumably illegal gambling games and everything and he just had this just very out of the ordinary for him interaction with a man and I like to think that the character of Faraday you know softened up a bit um because he's not really that intimidating but he is he has that like that like level of intimidation that is potentially intimidating within him. But because of his interaction with John, it's not fully intimidating, I guess. I don't know. So then we get John and Marie back at new life and John is preparing to get the procedure and Marie is egging him on telling him like, it's okay. Like you can do this. You need to do this and everything. And again, that's just beautiful because Uh, because, because she just wants what's best for her husband. And that is just so beautiful. I don't know. I'm getting teary eyed. Um, so then John and Mr. Vance walk through the hall and John waves goodbye to Marie, who then looks at the woman model and just looks slightly, slightly sad because she has this one moment where she can, where she's alone. She can reveal that it is, it is heartbreaking. It is sad that she's not going to be able to get it but she knows that John will benefit more from it than she would. So I don't know. It's just, it's, it's beautiful. Um, so then, and it also leads, it's, it's the precursor to the final scene that we're going to get. But, uh, then they come out and the procedure is done. And I think Vance tells her that John is fine. And then this, I thought was kind of weird and I don't really understand why they would do this, but, Um, it was kind of morbid because they just show her John's body covered in a blanket. Like he's a, like he's a corpse because for all intents and purposes, that body is a corpse at this moment. And I just thought that that was kind of weirdly morbid and maybe out of place. But on the other hand, it is an interesting perspective, uh, when it comes to what they're going to be walking into the sunset toward at the end of the episode, because, it's just showing. I I don't know. I maybe maybe that's a loose connection. I don't know. But it is just. It is. I think maybe maybe I'll switch that around. I'll I'll back that up a little bit and say that it's interesting because she is seeing that her John is dead at this point, um, or is no longer there. It's the precursor for the young John scene where they know they're not going to where they discover that they're not going to be on the same page. So, I don't know. It's still it's a little bit wonky. I don't know if I really liked that element to it, but uh you know, whatever. So, um then New John, Young John comes out and has tons of energy and he is running around doing like push-ups and yelling about how he has no pain anymore and this is where it just gets just so heartbreaking because he goes up to Marie and again, a more cynical episode would have had him instantly like being repulsed by her and everything, or realizing that he's now a young man who can do whatever um, and be with whoever. But that's not it because they have this deep, rich love for each other. And so as he's holding her, he tells her that uh, I I thought that this like he tells her that every day will be filled with doing uh, all of the things that they never that they ever wish they could do and never could, and every day will be filled with living. And he says the line I thought this was very very nice or very interesting. Uh, he says every day is going to be a wedding, every afternoon a reception, and every evening a honeymoon, and every seventh day an anniversary. I thought that was just. Beautifully sad because at this moment we know where it's headed because it's sad because this display of energy in relation to Marie's age and and relative frailty makes it very sad because they're not on the same page anymore. And this episode has built them up to be this, this perfect couple who have lived a lifetime together and deserve to have a lifetime together further, but only one of them has that extra lifetime. Then that's when Marie puts her hands to her face and John has the realization that it's not going to work out the way he thinks it will because she doesn't have the procedure as well. And the camera does an interesting thing where there's this back and forth of extreme close-ups between the two and it's fine. I don't know. It's a little bit on the nose, I guess. And it doesn't really, I feel like there's like a beat where, I kind of wish that there was like a little bit of a beat after his proclamations about them being able to do whatever they want and everything. I wish that there was like one like extra beat where they process together, like what this means for them and how that's not going to be, you know, reality for them because only one has the procedure. I kind of feel like, uh, Marie putting her hands to her face is maybe not enough to convey that, um, And I kind of wish that instead of like this back and forth of close-ups between them, kind of cutting back and forth between them, I kind of wish we had just like a a shot of both of them in frame and both of them coming to that realization at the same time and having like, you know, acting on their face. (laughs) Um, uh, But that's it. I'm fine with how it's done. It's just I kind of wish that there was a little bit more of an emotional moment Um, instead of like this cut back and forth between, uh, ups of their faces. So then, uh, Vance says like, okay, well, John, I need to take you back to the back room to sign some papers. And I think that this is supposed to be that, that Mr. Vance has sensed the instant regret in John and knows what he's going to decide and doesn't even like, they don't even have the conversation with Marie. They don't even have the conversation with each other because it would be, I think that there's a beauty to that because she is someone who would, who wants him not to be in pain anymore. So like the writing on the wall is that, you know, she's not going to accept, she's not going to say like, yes, you should get it reversed and everything because that would be construed as selfish on her part for herself. Um, And so they bypass even asking her because it's not, it it's, it's his decision. And it makes that, that ending so beautiful where, uh, Vance walks out with original John and Murray gasps and he goes up to her. John goes up to her and says, uh, I thought this was so beautiful. Uh, he says, if I have to have occasional pain, so be it. I wouldn't want it any other way. And just, uh, it's like, I'm getting teary eyed, honestly. And then John quotes the Browning poem back to her as they walk down the hall, uh, down the hall of models, and they smile at one another as I put in my notes, as they walk into the rest of their life together. Uh, It's such a sweet, beautiful ending. It's wonderful. And the music cue that plays is absolutely just perfect perfect. It's it's absolutely perfect. And I'm welling up with tears right now. So I'm going to go ahead and play the closing narration from Rod Serling and uh, and compose myself. So here we go. Closing narration for the trade-ins. From Khalil Gibran's The Prophet. Love gives not but itself and takes not from itself. Love possesses not nor would it be possessed. For love is sufficient unto love. Not a lesson, just a reminder from all the sentimentalists in the Twilight Zone. And in my notes, in my final final stage of notes for this episode, I have, thank God this had a happy ending. Because it's such a sweet and wonderfully sentimental episode. It is about the love that these two characters share. It's romantic, it's sentimental, it's sweet. It is, as Rod says... It's not a lesson, but it is a uh, reminder for all the sentimentalists in the Twilight Zone. And I ate that up hook, line, and sinker. I thought it was beautifully done. Beautiful storytelling in the Twilight Zone. Um, And before I get to trivia and everything... I do want to mention, I think I kind of hinted at it earlier in the episode, but it feels like this episode is kind of the the other side of Kick the Can in a way. Um, these two episodes are so interesting together because, and I posted this on the Instagram at uh, OV Anthology Pod, but um, Kick the Can and The Trade-Ins, they're, first of all, they're two incredible episodes of The Twilight Zone and both explore... Uh, you know, people in their twilight years and their pursuit of youth in different, but both wonderfully poignant ways. So in kick the can, we have these characters that, uh, believe that youth can be, uh, regained if they, uh, if those who desire to come desire, you know, to reclaim their youth, commit themselves to it instead of just resigning themselves to a life of frailty. There's this magic mixed with sadness, um, in that episode, because at the end of kick the can, one person doesn't accept that it can be regained. It, they, this one character thinks that the, that his friend is going to hurt himself. So he does not believe that he can be, that he can be a kid again um to the extent that the end of kick the can is a harsh harsh end for that character because he misses out and his friend as a kid no longer knows him and everything it's a weirdly harsh but but beautiful kind of ending where as the trade ins is about this couple's pursuit of youth that leads them to accept their age and circumstances of their lives as, as is. So instead of leaving one of them out of, of achieving youth and a new life, they choose to face the very finite amount of time that they have left together and wa- literally walk in, not literally, but walk into the sunset, uh, uh, the proverbial sunset in that hallway together. And it's so beautiful because, that pair like them sharing their life uh they can only accept a future no matter how long or how short it is where they are together and that i think is just at the heart of it that's why the trade-ins is so just wonderful to me and i think it is it's it's absolutely stunning i i really am impressed with this episode um yeah. So I've got a couple of notes for trivia before I get into my uh, bonus review for science fiction theater. Uh, the first, and this is so sad and and just very, very, very sad, but um, Joseph uh, uh, Schildkraut, uh, who played John, uh, his second wife, who he had been married to for 29 years, died while he was filming this episode. And according to, I think this came from IMDb or Wikipedia, but, uh, and it's also in Unlocking the Door to a Television Classic. Um, basically, uh since he became, since he came from like a theatrical background, he insisted on, he insisted on finishing the production before he'd begin mourning. And that, that is just so, I don't know if I'd even say commendable. It's just, it's so sad. And, and I think that that maybe the performance, it comes through in the performance quite a bit because he has that genuine kindness, that, that vulnerability that goes throughout the entirety of the episode is on display and i just i think that that's i don't know that's it's just a very sad and uh tragic um <laughs> piece of trivia so um let's see um Okay, yeah, this other piece of trivia wasn't that interesting. But to round out trivia, um, <laughs> a quote from Edson Stroll, who played Young John, uh, he said, this coming, this is coming from Unlocking the Door to a Television Classic, um, the quote is, To my way of thinking, there was a little bit of work on the script while we filmed. I know this might have been mentioned briefly, but to get the reaction on my face when I looked at Alma, uh, Alma Platt, and realized she was hurting inside. The director wanted to shut off the sound in the studio and then shoot a gun in the background. So my look of shock and surprise is real. That's pretty interesting. And I don't know the way that it's phrased in it. um, In that quote, I'm not sure if that is what happened like because he says uh to get the reaction on my face when i looked at alma platt and realized she was hurting inside the director wanted to shut off the sound in the studio and then shoot a gun in the background so my look of shock and surprise is real um so yeah him saying is real so yeah that is what they did so that's an interesting piece of trivia for that but um okay so uh that is my review of the trade-ins this episode is is definitely just, it's a beautiful, beautiful episode of the Twilight Zone. It has, it has my, uh, full endorsement for one of the best, but it also has so many elements of the Twilight Zone that work for me. It has this science fiction, futuristic, like futurism, uh, baked into it. It has, it is leaning more on the science fiction aspect of it than, than like fantasy or anything. And at its heart, it has, it, it's a character-based story. And it's about this love that these two characters share. And it's just, it 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 checks all of my boxes and I absolutely love it. So anyway, that's my review of the trade-ins. And to round out the episode... Uh, I'm going to go ahead and review uh, in a non brief non-spoiler review an episode of Science Fiction Theater and as is usually the case I'm going to go ahead and play the jingle the theme song for Science Fiction Theater here. So this week's episode of Science Fiction Theater originally aired on January 14th, 1956. The title is Operation Flypaper, and the plot summary, courtesy of IMDb, is the theft of a series of scientific documents and equipment become perplexing with the only clue being unexplained time shifts that occur at the time the items went missing in this episode as of this recording is available on dailymotion.com i will put a link in the show notes of this episode for where you can where you can watch it online and the episode was directed by Eddie Davis, written by Doris Gilbert, and stars, uh, this was very a very pleasant surprise, stars of Vincent Price as Dr. Philip Redman, and uh, brothers George and John Eldridge as David and Jonathan Vollard. Uh John Eldridge actually appeared in uh, season two of The Twilight Zone in the episode back there. Um, And then rounding out the cast as Alma Ford is Christine Miller, which is, that's really interesting because, well, not really interesting. It's just a coincidence, Alma Ford, Alma Platt. But anyway, um, so, uh, so yeah, so as is the case, uh, we get a pre-show demonstration from Truman Bradley. Um, It's interesting though, that in the opening of the episode, after the theme song and everything, it's interesting and apropos because Vincent Price is the only on-screen build actor. So I find that to be pretty interesting. Um, and so Truman Bradley comes on the scene and says that uh, in, in another case of of the show kind of, kind of doing like a, a religious acknowledgement with scientific fact and theory, <laughs> uh, he says, God made the earth, the heaven, and the sea. Uh, but it's a scientific theory that the that life began and in, in the sea, and I thought that was that was a nice uh, of an interesting like kind of um uh, fence sitting thing for the show. <laughs> um, and so he says that humans are now returning to the sea, and instead of having like a demonstration, he just shows footage of this two manned submarine uh, that looks honestly kind of silly. It looks like a bobsled underwater uh, with these two men in like, uh, scuba suits. Uh, it looks kind of silly, but he says like, this is a new invention or a new, a new piece of equipment that will allow a man to explore the, the floor of the sea and everything. Um, which I thought was kind of, kind of, I don't know, it has its charms. Uh, and he says, and it's, it's a part of the story, uh, that we're going to tell today. And so, uh, the episode doesn't have any like, on scene, like underwater sequences or anything like that. It's all indoors and everything, but it's a pretty good episode, honestly. So the introduction to the actual episode, uh, it plays up the mystery of the ocean, how, you know, not a lot of it has been, uh, has been explored and how there's a lot of mysteries within the depths of the Pacific ocean and everything and all oceans on earth and all of that. And so it introduces us to the secret meeting of secret guests, of secret scientists that are meeting at the secret hotel uh, near the Pacific Ocean. And it introduces us to each one, saying that Dr. Redmond won the Nobel Nobel Prize. And then I thought it was kind of funny and shameful, but of the era, Uh, Alma Alma Ford... Uh, is there? Uh, she plays. Uh, oh, Alma Ford is. Yeah, Alma Ford is the character's name. She's there because uh, her father, a renowned scientist, is unavailable, so she's there as his proxy. <laughs> like she's not a scientist. She's there because her father isn't available. And then uh, the brothers Villard are there to, They have some kind of new device for mapping the ocean. I think that that's the case. But here's where the episode gets very interesting. So they introduce the meeting and everything and they say like, here, we're going to, we're going to be using this, uh, this echo, um, this echo sonar thing. What was it called? The echo sounder, uh, device to figure out like the, um, the ocean and everything, but as they're about to oh no, the echo sounder is just like this echolocation thing, uh, this new thing from the Volards. But um they're about to use it or they're about to take it out of the case um and uh demonstrate it and like get to work on it and everything. But when one of the Volard brothers is carrying it across the room, he says, Oh my god, what just happened? uh it disappeared i could feel it leave i could feel the weight of it leave the um leave the case as i was walking like instantaneously he felt it leave um and felt it disappear and i like immediately i'm like okay that's really interesting and then the episode doubles down on that by having alma say um like first they go through kind of a back and forth saying that like oh you know um can it, like, how could it have gone, uh, gone? Like, where is it? And everything he says, no, like he doubles down on it and says like, no, it literally disappeared while I was holding it. I could feel the difference in the weight. And then an extra wrinkle is added when Alma, uh, says, Hey, what time did you say it was Dr. Redman? And he says, yeah, it was uh, past 11. she says, look at your clock. And, uh, he's like, it, he looks and it's like, Oh my God, it's 1145, 45 minutes have instantaneously disappeared. And I thought that was really pretty dang cool. Like that was really cool. It was very interesting to me um, because it gives the impression that there is someone that is has the ability to freeze time. And that's why I, I that's that's the thing that I'm really enjoying. As I've said for the last 38 episodes of this show, um, I love this style of sci-fi storytelling because it introduces this wildly implausible like supernatural like uh like super super science fiction concept and then works out how it works in the in in universe and I found that to be so compelling and interesting I'm not gonna give away what happens uh or what the explanation is or what the what the result is obviously but I will say that the op- that the, the reason for the title, the title of the episode being Operation Flypaper is really interesting and is a really interesting and fun way to kind of figure out what's going on because this keeps happening. Like things, items are being taken and time is being stolen from them continuously. And the overall explanation is pretty solid. It's pretty fun it's very interesting. I like the way that it's demonstrated in the, uh, in universe. It's, it's pretty fun. Um, the culprit is a little under underserved, I guess. And it just seems like a little bit, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't mind the ending, but I did feel like it was a little bit, it just didn't really work all that well (laughs) for me. But the actual explanation for, what what happened and what was going on was was really satisfying like the actual the concept of the episode was really fun for me so uh so yeah so that is operation flypaper i don't really have much else to say about it but i do recommend checking this episode out cuz it was a lot of fun and uh the concept was really cool so yeah all right well that will do it for this episode of anthology next week on the show uh, next week is Thanksgiving week here in the States. So, um, hopefully you guys, uh, if you're celebrating, hope you have a good uh, Thanksgiving and it's the holiday season. So happy holidays to everyone. But, uh, next week I'm going to be, uh, reviewing the gift, which is, uh, season three, episode 32 of the twilight zone. And then my bonus review is going to be for the other side of the moon from science fiction theater season one, episode 39. I am, almost sure that that's the season finale. I'm not sure exactly, but we'll see. Uh, but, uh, before I go, I do want to say just thank you guys so much for listening and for, uh, checking out the show, please. Uh, if you are on Instagram, give me a follow at OV anthology pod. I'm going to have a lot of, hopefully a lot of content on there as I go through, Um, the, uh, as I go through, go through, you know, my episodes of anthology, by the way, the other side of the moon is the season one finale of, uh, science fiction theater. So I was right. Um, but, uh, yeah. So before I go once again, um, thank you guys. And also, uh, consider checking out Patreon, patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. I have a ton of stuff on there and, uh, the money really helps me out. Um, you get a lot of money, you get a lot of content for the, for the pledges that you make on, uh, on, uh, on Patreon. It is a recurring thing. So you pay, basically you pay, uh, you pay what it is, the, the, whatever tier level you want, uh, you get charged once. And then for that month, you get access to everything under that tier level. And then one month later you get charged again and you continue having access to the stuff at that tier level. So Anyway, check that out. Patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. I'm going to go ahead and start playing myself out. Um, uh, Yeah. Also check out my other shows, Obsessive Viewer, which we're going to have an episode out this week, uh, this coming week, finally. Uh, And then Tower Junkies, which we're going to have to have another episode coming out soon. But uh, yeah, check those out. I really love doing this. So um, yeah. So until next episode, thank you guys so much for listening and I'll see you in the next episode. And now, enjoy this short clip from our Patreon-exclusive RSS feed. For the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, such as early access to episodes, TV book and movie reviews and reaction recordings, commentary tracks, and Patreon potpourri episodes, go to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy like, experiences that women have and women had in the 60s in France, I presume. Um, this is just a visceral, heartbreaking movie in in a variety of ways, as I said in the review. Um, but it is, it's heartbreaking in the sense that this is, like, I, I was toying with the idea of saying, like, this is the future Republicans want. Um, because it is, it's horrific. It is absolutely horrific to think that, um, a woman cannot have, you know, autonomy over her body, um, and not have the choice to terminate a pregnancy or to not carry a pregnancy to term. Like there are, obviously there are debates and all of this stuff about the... This podcast was edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by obsessiveviewer.com. You can find links to all of our shows at obsessiveviewer.com slash podcasts. For exclusive bonus content, including reviews, commentaries, and B-roll episodes, you can subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode. Life's better with American Family Insurance.